0: Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast. I'm Laurie Pinkerton-Rollet, and over the next half hour, I'll be speaking with John Chapman of Pinders to discuss the UK's leading healthcare design awards. Keep listening. You may pick up a tip or two. This month, we'll head to the land of the rising sun for the innovation spotlight and hats off features, where we'll highlight a tent-like retirement community in a Japanese woodland. And we'll also check the Third Age Design International events calendar, where conference dates finally appear to be holding. Samaya Valley of the South African company Counterspace says architecture and design is a form of advocacy. What a wonderful statement. Third design was created to share knowledge to improve senior environments. Check out our newly updated website where you can join this free interactive community. You can share your expertise and reach potential new clients by submitting a blog post. If you sign up, you can get access to the forum where architects, designers, care operators, and students can all share information related to design for the third age. And on the podcast page, you'll find links and other information related to each podcast so you can explore the topic given in greater detail. You'll find all of that and more at thirdage.design. Okay, let's get started. Design Awards can be traced back to the British Council of Industrial Design, established in 1944 to promote all practical means of improvement in design in the production of British industry. This was followed up in 1957 by the Japanese Good Design Awards. There's an in-depth research piece by James Self entitled Mind the Gap, Perception of Design Awards from the Wild, and you'll find a link to it on the podcast page associated with this episode. In short, it states that design awards are an important vehicle for the promotion of design excellence and its dissemination to a wider audience. Here to talk about this is my guest today, known to many of our listeners, John Chapman. John is a director of Pinders, the UK's leading specialist business appraisers and valuers, and he's been involved in the valuation of care businesses of all sizes for more than 30 years. He's advised central government, the care regulators, and many local authorities, and is a regular contributor of published articles and seminar presentations, as well as organizing the annual Healthcare Design Awards for the past 20 years. He's also the entertaining master of ceremonies with a wide variety of decorative
1: waistcoats.
0: (laughs) John, thank you for being my guest today.
1: That's a pleasure. Nice to be here.
0: Um, we're obviously going to discuss the awards, but first, I just wanted to ask, kind of uh, off the cuff, what sparked your interest in this particular sector?
1: Um, I, completely by accident, really. Um, as I often say to people, my, my, my true, true ambition is to become a red coat at Butlins, and <laughs> this is just a fill-in job that I'm doing until, until I can do that. Um, I started with Pinders a little bit, almost by accident, out of university, and the first day I went there, they handed me a care home report um, and therefore I started looking at care homes. And that was 31 years ago now. So uh-huh. um, had, had, had I been there on another day, I might have got a pub or a hotel report to look at. But that, that's really what started me off looking at care homes and I carried on doing it.
0: Well, we're grateful they handed you that one. <laughs> the The awards were set up in 1991. Um, and I, I've taken this off, off your website to encourage improvements in care facilities, which relates back to, you know, what I was saying in the opening, that that's the purpose for really any sort of award. Why was it specifically thought necessary to set it up for this area? And who had the foresight to set it up?
1: Well, I can't actually claim credit for that because in 1991, when it first started, it was it was actually nothing to do with Pinders, um, two chaps... Um, an architect called Nick Borritt, uh and Michael Monk who was the publisher of this Caring Business magazine came up with the, the initial concept um, and if you think this was 1991 so this was only seven years after the uh, Registered Care Homes Act and a long time before we had any care standards so this was the early days um, and I think that they we were just beginning to see the first generation of purpose-built care homes at that time being, being created, and Nick felt that it was a, a good opportunity. Um, I suppose he was slightly selfish. He probably wanted to win some of the awards himself for some of his own projects. Um, it was very small and, and, and early days, really, at the, that time, and, and after a few incarnations, it, it came to an end. I think lack of sponsorship um, causing that. And we picked it back up again in 1999. Um, And I suppose our our vision for it was that we saw everything as it tends to be, even today, all the news about the care sector tends to be bad. Um, And certainly in those days it was. And We knew that there was a lot of good work going on in the care sector. Uh, And I suppose being property valuers, we said, well, let's have a look at trying to do something positive relating to the um, the structure and the design, and uh, that's where we, we did it, and we were very clever because we, we enlisted a number of the major banks to pay for it all uh, in sponsorship. Um, the magazine did all of the publicity, and, and I got landed with doing all of the organising, and uh, that's how it started. And, uh, oh, yes. We, if we, I think if we'd known how it was going to evolve and grow over the years, we may not have taken it on, but uh, that, that was its roots and its purpose.
0: And it's obviously been, one would imagine, a, a very uh, strong link to, to Pinders as a group um, because it is certainly um, very well known um, w- within the sector. Have you seen any direct results, um, any direct improvements that you think, uh, I can see that that was tied back to, you know, publicity following the awards or, or a specific um, uh, initiative that was part of, of something that was submitted to the awards?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's become a bit of a, a, a theme over the years. I, I, I very quickly introduced a rule that you couldn't win a, a design award if you had white tiles in your bathrooms. Um, <laughs> and uh, I still stick to that rule today because, And I, but I think that's, that's a sign of, of some of the, the early change that we, I think, brought about through this because early care homes were very clinical still. I think they come from a, uh, a health care route, if you like. Um, and I still find it today is amazing. We put wonderful colours and um, you know, focus on pictures and, and furniture and everything. And then you go into the bathroom and there's these stark white tiles with fluorescent strips over, the, over that. And, it's, and it suddenly becomes a, a very stark and clinical environment. So um, one of my biggest contributions is that you know, we now have beautifully coloured environments with scented candles with piped in music with fluffy towels all that sort of thing um, but I think that's a general sign of how we've gone from a clinical environment to a much more homely environment um, and I think the attention to detail that's now coming particularly from the interior designers um, that's something where I think the awards have become a, a bit of a forum for I'd like to say sharing ideas because ultimately stealing ideas from other people Um, and I'm the world's worst for doing this is telling everybody about anything good I see so if I see something a good idea somewhere else I'll tell everybody
0: Yes, yes. You you need a little life in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So I think we've we we certainly championed that as much as we possibly
0: can. I I agree with you. I mean the whole uh, the whole ethos behind the third age uh, design website and podcast is exactly what you're talking about. It's about sharing information because even when you quote unquote copy somebody, or you take a concept, you're applying it in a new environment you're going it's going to automatically start to evolve you know we're not inventing the fact that people sit on chairs but you know over time we new elements come into them and they and they improve with time and i think the same thing um seems to be happening in in this sector so going back to what you were just saying the so one of the trends is the sort of indoor outdoor space element is am i understanding that correctly um, and is it, do you find particularly in the UK that there are specific challenges associated with that because of the weather?
1: Yes, I think, uh, I actually think that the, that's probably not the biggest challenge because you know, we, we're used to the weather and we, we like to go out even when it's cold and wet on occasions. Um, I think access is the biggest problem. You know, if you've got a two or three story building and you compartmentalised it, how do you provide freedom of access to people to get out to outdoor spaces. Um, and I think one of the disappointing things is that probably the people who benefit the most from um, outdoor spaces will be those who've got dementia. Um, but too often we put those people on the upper floors rather than the ground floor, making that access more restrictive. Yes. Um, we've overcome that to a certain extent in some cases using terraces and roof gardens and balconies, um, but certainly, it works best if you can allow the doors to be open to allow people to come and go as they want and have that independence. Um, but obviously, that poses a challenge of a you've got to have um, enough space, uh, which is obviously a cost, um, but also making sure again it's a safe environment that people can actually use um, correctly.
0: Yes, and well, and welcoming, even though it's a, a, a terrace yeah. instead of a. A a garden are are there any specific uh trends whether it be external or internal that you you think have come from other design sectors hospitality or 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 any of them are there any that you can see where uh there's been a direct impact on on care i
1: suppose the most obvious one is is the hospitality sector um i think there's a growing trend of bringing the best out of hotels and um, hospitality settings into care homes. Uh, I think there's a debate about whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, I think we potentially in some cases go too far in terms of making care homes look acceptable and palatable to the resident's relatives um, rather than the the residents themselves. And certainly I've said many times in terms of You know, I think we end up with too many chandeliers in care homes um, for the wrong reasons. Um, I think the other aspect going the other way is, I think that some of the good things that care homes have done in terms of particularly design specifically for people with dementia, is now having an impact upon um, other buildings and certainly particularly public spaces um, where I think they're now realizing that the general population dementia is an increasing um, challenge and some of the the lessons that we've learned in designing for people with dementia in care homes has now been translated across into hospitals into public offices and that sort of thing.
0: Is that sort of life uh, light levels and sort of LRV differences you know color differences between surfaces or in what what sort of elements?
1: Yeah I think it's all part of that same thing very much linked into ease of navigation um i mean I, unfortunately my, my father-in-law passed away last year with dementia and we were, we went through the experience of visiting milky's general hospital quite a lot and the navigation process um for anybody is just you're, you're just overloaded with signs going every which way right um But what was really interesting was that we used to have to navigate various corridors and changes of direction to get to the ward. Um, But both my wife and I actually noted the fact that, oh, we know that we get to the junction where there's a naked woman statue, very artistic, um, (laughs) and you turn left there. And I realized, of course, that this is a, a classic visual cue. So there's signs everywhere pointing to whichever ward. But actually, that was the most rem- um, memorable and recognizable aspect. So, I certainly think that they've started to learn from getting away to a certain extent, they've got a long way to go from purely um, having um, signs and, and uh, written instructions to mm-hmm. looking at more subtle ways of, of helping people.
0: I think I've been involved in this sector for sort of 30 years overall, and at that time, you'd go in and look at a place, and there would be a lounge with chairs going around a room, um, so, and wing chairs, so no one could speak to one another, and the television was too far away to, for most people to see, and that was sort of what a lounge would look like in a, in, a, in a care facility. And obviously nobody wanted to live there. Unfortunately, I'm sure we've both seen a few of those still. <laughs> um, but what do you think has been the biggest change overall in the design of care facilities in the time you've been involved?
1: I think you can almost split the evolution. Into, into sort of three phases, if you like. I think initially it was all about structure. It was, you know, we were learning in terms of suddenly building wider corridors, bigger bedrooms, you know, en-suites were relatively new when we started out on this, sort of thing. Um, let alone wet rooms, which we now uh, have. Um, I think having greater choice of day space is a big um, innovation. We used to have one big lounge, one big dining room. Um, now... What you want is smaller spaces, therefore I've got choice. So if I want to be somewhere where there's lots going on, I can go there. If I want to be quiet on my own, I can go there. So actually breaking it down into into smaller elements. Um, I think breaking bigger homes down into smaller family groups um, linked to that as well. Um, I certainly think that the structural part was um, important. That's the sort of the architectural part. and we, we got that right largely fairly quickly i think the next phase was, was what i would call subliminal um that's when interior designers really got involved and that's where we started to understand better in terms of using color and contrast visual cues as well as signage um the universities started at that time to um, take an interest in, and come up with some ideas not necessarily that they all worked but we all experimented with those and actually tried them out and see which ones worked, which didn't. Um, I think we also started to introduce new concepts um, in terms of uh, activities, um, cinema rooms, mm-hmm. and, um, charity shops even I've seen. I think the next phase, which is the one we're probably into now, is, is building upon that, which is I, I call the invisible. And that's going to be really how we use technology. Buenos well, días. Yeah. visible. Um, And then we've got the technology for monitoring and therefore creating independence so that we can actually allow people to take chances and to live their life without being constantly under supervision. Um, I think that's going to be the area where we're probably going to see um, sort of greatest innovation advances going forward now.
0: Yes, and that helps with, you know, um, management, um, reducing falls and all sorts of things without everybody feeling like Big Brothers watching them um, as they're living their lives. Without using any names, obviously. Or what are the what would be some of the big no nos you've seen along the way that you really
1: think? Oh, wow, that, that
0: that can't be right. Um, I think I think
1: probably the biggest one is. is- Almost the fundamental layout of the building, and that tends to come from trying to put the wrong thing on the wrong side. And it's usually that you've got a long thin side, so you end up with a long thin building. Linear buildings very difficult you know, to to then get a good environment um, in, internally. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I do remember once seeing one which had that that problem, and they ended up with the laundry on the first floor right next to the bedrooms and I could actually hear it thundering through the the bedroom wall because that ended up being the only place the structure would allow them to. So I think there's been some mistakes which all come from picking the wrong site in the first place. Uh, I actually have a a slight concern about compartmentalisation. It's good to break big homes into smaller units but you've got to be very careful that you don't end up with too small a unit which ends up actually as another little tight claustrophobic space where those people rattle about and it becomes almost a bit of a pressure cooker um with the shared communal facilities only available when you're allowed to go and use them Um, i've seen a few homes of that sort which i just don't think work um, because you've 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 split up the big number for almost the sake of it
0: yes i mean we worked on one recently where there was a wing that was sort of the dementia wing, and they were in family groups, but you could use the lift f- quite freely to uh, not go into parts of the building that weren't set up for dementia care, but you could go between floors and visit other people um, that that had the same condition, visit other lounges, other terraces, et cetera, and it seemed like they kind of rode that line quite nicely. Um, I can see what you're saying. Otherwise, it becomes very insular, a uh, very insular way of living, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's this thing about you know the ideal is that you want people to have the freedom to go wherever they'd like to go, um, but that involves a lot of space. Um, so some of the good schemes I've seen on that tend to be charities who've got huge land and they have the luxury of being able to to waste space, if you like, in that way. Um, I think is when you've got buildings on tight sides and you're trying to fit everything into it, but you end up potentially with small, quite sort of almost oppressive communities Mm -hmm. um, because they can only go out through the keypad door to go to visit the communal facilities when it's their turn. I have to say that that seems to be a bit of a theme in Scotland, strangely. Um, and I think that's partly because they... In Scotland, they tend to allow the health professionals too much influence on designing care homes for my liking, and I think they end up with something that's much more like a hospital rather than like a care home.
0: Very interesting. Or a place where you'd want to live. Yeah. Um, Just to, uh, to go to the awards specifically, because I think this is a really fun element of what you've... What you've developed. There's the serious matter of what people are bringing, literally to the party in terms of design and concept, um, push, pushing and moving things forward. Uh, but then there are the award dinners themselves, and you you tend to do this as themes. I'm just wondering, uh, for anybody that hasn't attended, uh, there there it's really quite a um, an uplifting experience i'm just wondering what theme has been your favorite and and how you pick them
1: <laughs> um there's no there's no run really I, the inspiration usually strikes at about three o'clock in the morning and i suddenly you know go oh gosh that's a good idea um it's often driven by uh, because we we try to support different charities and, uh, and i'm always very proud of the fact that we've over the years have raised over half a million pounds for different causes through the, the awards and so sometimes we we pick a a charity, you usually try and go for small, less well-known charities, and through that, that may dictate a theme, Um, and who the celebrity is that we we bring along to present those. I have to say, you know, mostly it's about me wanting to dress up, so it's really what outfit I fancy wearing. Um, In terms of favourite, I I don't know. The one that I I still get reminded about constantly about 10 years ago now, where um, I, I ended up as, as the magician's assistant. And the outfit that I'd um, got for this, um, I hadn't tried on before. So it, when I put it on, it didn't quite cover everything. And um, so people still re- refer to <laughs> Nipplegate. Um, so that, I'm not sure whether that's my favourite, but it's the one that, that sticks in the memory, unfortunately.
0: See, I told you it was, it was amusing <laughs> and uplifting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any... John, do you have any key tips uh, for listeners who will be looking to submit a project or projects for this year's awards? What What is the deadline? Where should they go for more information? And are there any little uh, tips you can give them to, to make sure they focus on?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, I, the, because we've missed a year, unfortunately, due, due, due to the pandemic. So the people who entered for last year's awards, those entries will be carried over. The deadline now has been reopened. It, it will be the 30th of November, as it always has been in the past, which allows us to then do the judging in, in, early in the new year. Um, so further details on that, either from the Pinders website or the dedicated Healthcare Design Awards website, so go, go to that. Um, we did change the category slightly not, um, this year, Really to refresh things a little bit and also to try and give some specific focus. So we we we're very keen to try and look specifically at um, Gardens and external spaces. So there's a dedicated award for that. So do check what the, the new categories are and focus on that um, What I always say to people is this is a design competition. So don't just send me a marketing presentation mm-hmm. about how fabulous your home is uh, Mainly because all of them will be fabulous um
0: in innovation in in design itself
1: yes and yeah what i always say to people is that you know you've got to explain to us why if you want to win yours has to be has to stand out from the outstanding because there's going to be lots and lots of other things that hold equally very good um so you need to to tell us explain to us why you think yours stands out from them
0: John, thank you so much. Um, I've actually learned quite a quite a lot of things um, during the discussion. It's been very informative, and I really appreciate your time. And look forward to this year's awards.
1: Be my pleasure. Hopefully, we can all meet up again and uh, and, and, uh, carry on again this year.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so very happy that our focus today brings us to Japan, an archipelago of 430 inhabited islands where pets outnumber children and which claims Tokyo as the most populated city on earth with over 38 million inhabitants. Japan has an unrivaled craft tradition and architectural luminaries including Tadoendo, Kengo Kuma, and Toyo Ito. It's a place where large communal baths are a normal part of life and a country where, according to the BBC, they have entered what is called a super-aged society, where people over the age of 65 and above account for over 28% of the population. The demographics of other countries are headed in a similar direction, as you know. So what lessons can we learn from the Japanese? Well, our Hats Off tribute this month goes to a most unusual retirement community, Jika, in Shujuoku Prefecture. Tokyo-based architect Isisuma designed what looks like an enchanted forest of contemporary teepee-like dwellings that sit comfortably in the mountainous landscape. In my personal opinion, a vista of Japanese mountains is pretty much the most uplifting environment in the whole world. It's literally thinking outside of a proverbial box, this project, i.e. the teepee shape, and it is really true biophilic design. It was originally built for two elderly women, but today serves as a retirement home and hospice care center with an easy access spiral-shaped pool and a kitchen complex, which also prepares, and this is really important, and delivers meals to seniors in the surrounding community. The images are quite simply astonishing, and I urge you to look at the links on the podcast page at thirdage.design. It really is very inspiring. And the delivery of food to meet the needs of an aging population also provides a link to this month's Innovation Spotlight. The Lea Shia group of care homes in Kobe, Japan, has come up with a very unique proposition for a bespoke resident dining experience with very few members of staff. Mr. Asuchi Kishimoto is CEO, and he created a central kitchen for all five of their homes, which are in the vicinity. There's an elaborate system of colored trays and charts of every individual care resident assuring that dietary requirements are met for each meal of the day. The small kitchen staff cooks in bulk for all of the homes and then flash freezes the meals, which are delivered by van to each home, along with fresh salads, sauces, and desserts. The food is then heated and plated on location. What a smart, smart way to feed a lot of people with a limited staff. In fact, it's so good and so fresh that able-bodied elderly people who are not residents can also sign up and come in for a hot meal, for activities, and just a sense of community. And that provides the occasional helping hands while also warding off the loneliness that often accompanies living alone in later years. It also brings in a revenue stream for the homes, which has been designed to accommodate this extra capacity. So congratulations to the owner, Ms. Ichikawa, and to Mr. Kishimoto for their inspired thinking, Segoi, You'll find links on the podcast page at thirdage.design. So just a quick look at our international TAD events calendar then. Due to the fluctuating circumstances in Europe at the moment, we're going to specifically highlight just UK events this time around. But if you want to know what's going on elsewhere in the world, please do have a look at the website. The Later Living Online event, previously called the Retirement Living event, will take place on the 24th of June and is organized by Property Week events. The Design and Mental Health Conference and Exhibition is still scheduled to take place from the 9th to the 10th of June at the Rico Arena in Coventry, England. And the 10th Anniversary Care and Retirement Living Conference is scheduled to take place in Covent Garden, London on the 24th of November. You'll find these and more events at thirdage.design on the events page. A special thank you to my guest, John Chapman of Pinders, to our producer, Mike Scales, to Valerie Adler of The Right Website, Peter Thorne, who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute, and finally to you for being part of a community who believes we can design better together. I'm Laurie pinkerton Roley, and I do hope you'll join me for the next one.